Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10, that's podcast10, to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Now, to the top analysis of today's crypto markets. Has crypto weathered the banking storm? Welcome to Cryptoverse, a new Real Vision show, live every Monday and Wednesday here on the platform and on YouTube. Here we focus on the big, interesting, and promising developments in the world of crypto. I'm Ash Bennington. Today, I'm joined by Kevin Miao, the head of credit at Block Tower Capital, the crypto investment firm, of course. He's also a former vice president of Structured Products Trading at City. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ash. It's great to be here. So let's start in, we were talking about this uh, off camera a little bit. Tell us about your title, what your role is, and what you do at Block Tower. Yeah, sure. So uh, Block Tower, um, which just to give, uh, I think you had mentioned prior to the show that Ari's been on a couple of times, our fearless leader, CIO, and co-founder. Um, but Block Tower had, was started by Ari Paul and Matthew Getz back in 2017. Uh, it's a digital asset manager. Uh, that today runs a number of different strategies. And I joined last year, uh, about actually 14-ish months ago, officially, um, to come on and basically launch the credit fund. And the credit fund at Block Tower is distinct from the other funds in the sense that we do not invest in crypto or crypto uh, or digital assets or digital asset adjacent equity or companies. We invest in traditional credit assets. Um, spanning the public and private space, so but today primarily focusing on investment grade consumer asset-backed securities, for example. Um, but our strategy dictates that we take these assets and we securitize them into uh, really kind of like the world's first institutional CLO that lives directly on Ethereum. Uh, we use um, a close partners technology stack of um, uh, where the partners uh, company called Centrifuge or a protocol called Centrifuge. Uh, and they've built a series of smart contracts and UI, UX um, to basically facilitate the onboarding, the creation, and the ongoing just operations of, uh, you know, collateralized loan obligation on-chain. Um, what does that actually look like? It means that we are out there going out sourcing, um, you know, traditional credit assets, selling them into an off-balance sheet SPV, which is a traditional kind of like structure. But instead of issuing liabilities off of that SPV that are, uh, you know, living in QSIP form at DTCC in this kind of like broken traditional financial system that we have currently today, they live as effectively semi-fungible tokens on the Ethereum mainnet directly. And then we uh, invest in those tokens, direct, uh, you know, uh, alongside MakerDAO, who is our senior financing counterparty. So it's, a, it's definitely a a unique spin on what is a pretty standard vanilla strategy in traditional structured credit. Okay, so a lot there, a lot yeah, to unpack. Sorry. I'm sure uh, people are trying to get their heads around what this structure is. Uh, first of all, let's start with the most obvious place. What are the assets that you guys are investing in? Yeah, so primarily we're investing in investment grade, uh, you know, call it single A rated or triple B rated bonds. Um, these bonds are backed by a pool of diversified, call it three to five year consumer loans. It could be auto loans, uh, credit cards, uh, solar leases, et cetera, things like that. 
So these um, are just traditional fixed income assets uh, that you uh, would see uh, trading, uh, for example, on a fixed income desk anywhere in the world. Exactly. Yeah, we are. We're not a digital asset fund, um, at least block tower credit. We are users of blockchain technology to basically streamline and eradicate the structuring fees and the ongoing fees of a, you know, 14 different counterparties in a traditional securitization that might take 30 basis points of fees per annum. Uh, we replicate all of that through, again, the great technology of our partner Centrifuge and beyond um, that uh, eradicate that 30 basis points. And I think it represents a real institutional proof of concept of what this technology can do um, for traditional markets um, in the future. So basically what you guys are doing is through this technology, you're finding less expensive ways to aggregate fixed income securities uh, into an investable product that you can sell to institutionals, uh, to institutions uh, that then with a lower cost basis obviously improves the yield. That's the thesis, at least I would imagine, over time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That That's, I would say, you know, perhaps the first initial wedge. I mean, we have a much more expansive view of where this um, will likely go in the future, but securitizations are a highly complex like beast in traditional, right. uh, you know, traditional markets. And I think when you're thinking about where the technology can really represent a 10x improvement, you want to go find the most broken parts of the traditional system. Um, so we started with securitizations. So, uh, so what's broken for folks who don't have fixed income backgrounds? What's broken about the traditional system of securitization? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, not to not to shill an article that we wrote last last summer, but uh, we we did. And I'm happy to send you the link after this. But we did uh, guest post on Packy McCormick's blog um, about exactly this topic last year. Um, it was a blog called Not Boring, and uh, basically, if I had to TLDR the whole situation on an ongoing basis, a there may be a pool of call it 50,000 loans. Um, and each of those individual loans needs to be tracked. They have you know, data attached to them. What, you know, who is the borrower? What is the interest rate? What is the maturity date? Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all of these like individual loans are basically being tracked in balkanized databases with like different parties. So you've got an administrator, a paying agent, a calculation agent, a trustee, uh, the custodian, et cetera, and everyone is in charge of basically keeping separate ledgers and then the cost of reconciliation among those ledgers on a monthly basis because the underlying 50,000 loans are paying, you know, at various different times their principal or their interest. That all needs to be reconciled. Everybody needs to agree. And then at that point, there's a calculation agent who says, okay, well, we've received on these 50,000 loans, call it $10 million this month. Now I've got to go out and figure out the investors in this pool of loans, the senior investors, the junior investors, the equity investors, they're due X amount, right? Uh, and in order to calculate that in the traditional markets, it's an Excel file, right? And yeah. then it gets routed through the uh, the paying agent who sends it to the, you know, the bank account at DTCC, who then sends it to the individual prime brokers, who then sends it to uh, the individual holders of the QSIPs. And so you've got all of these different counterparties moving money around, taking some right. fee out of it, but then also costing uh, time. And there are a ton of errors in this like process because obviously it's 
very, very difficult for just one person to do it, let alone right. five people to do it or five individual databases to do this on an ongoing basis. But sounds like a you know consensus problem, right? Uh, or where you need a single source of truth. And that's where really this like technology, I think, shines, right? Because now at this point, the way that we run it, um, and of course, you know, we're still early. There's still a long way to go in terms of the technological innovation that needs to happen for this to be truly scalable, um, you know, to the degree that we want it to be. But today, all of the assets live as NFTs directly on the Ethereum mainnet, right? Everybody has access to the same understanding of what are the loans, what are the payments coming in on an individual loan, when these dollars are routed through, uh, you know, to the senior interest or the senior buy, uh, the senior bondholder and the junior bondholders and the equity bondholders or the equity holders. Each of those transactions, instead of being calculated and routed through uh, an Excel file to five different bank accounts in DTCC and the prime brokers, it's all being done automatically through smart contracts, right? right? And the distributions are made automatically to the holders of the senior notes or the junior notes. And I think replicates or represents a, a proper step function improvement in the administration of, uh, of a securitization. Not the pricing, not the investment, like, but just the fact that this entire system, right? Yeah. Of what a securitization is, is able to operate in real time. Yeah, it's so fascinating, actually, for people, particularly on the crypto side, uh, who aren't familiar with the way fixed income markets work. Uh, I worked on uh, uh, the floor of a bank uh, some 20 years ago, uh, five feet away from the fixed income high yield trading desk. And then it was 20 years lagged. Uh, so if they've moved up 20 years in the last 20 years, they're still 20 years behind. This process is just extraordinarily manualized. And everybody wants to grab a few bips at every hop in the process. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's quite an interesting problem that I think many players have tried to solve in the past, right? Uh, but the technology and the desire to find a new consensus model hasn't really existed in the past. But, um, you know, and for example, right, there are companies out there like TradeWeb or Market Access that provide electronic trading venues for uh, investment grade bonds. And, they they are objectively a much better platform or they had always been an objectively a much better platform to transact on a peer-to-peer -peer OTC basis, these investment grade assets, but the supply and the demand was constricted or controlled by the oligopoly of Wall Street banks, you know, of which I used to work for one at, at Citigroup. And so the only way that these companies were able to actually get the supply and the demand on the platform was to sell significant portions of their equity to the large uh, institutions in order to incentivize the cities and the Bank of Americas of the world to use that platform, right? Um, and the reason that I bring that up is because it is like, the system isn't just gonna change on its own, right? It needs to have some sort of incentive or it needs to have some sort of like just collective consensus driven idea of oh, wait a second we need to improve this we need to we need to collectively get better but if you look at what's happened on in traditional finance outside of what's been going on in the you know like with distributed ledger technology or blockchain technology or these things that are happening um, inside of banks like they have already made serious like uh inroads in this direction like they already know that we need to modernize the effectively middle office and back office functions of everything that we do. 
Um, so at City, you know, an example of this is City had spun out a uh, company called Octora, which basically uses a, like is an electronic trading platform for leveraged loans or CLOs directly. It has nothing to do with blockchain technology, but was done in in a consortium with, um, you know, a number of the other like major banks on Wall Street. And so what that says is, okay, all right, wait a second. These guys are starting to realize the revenue side of our equation, right, as a Wall Street bank is probably not going to increase dramatically. You know, we're not in some hyper growth like mode, right? We're mature companies, like very, very mature companies at this point, um, especially after getting neutered after the financial crisis. And so now it's all about cost efficiency. And so they're focusing on technologies that can create, you know, cost savings for them and obviously deliver, uh, you know, better profits for their shareholders. At the same time, you've got some of the biggest leaders in this space, right? Despite Jamie Dimon saying Bitcoin is a fraud and obviously you know, not going to go. All right, I don't agree with him on, on that whatsoever. But like what he does talk about is blockchain technology. What JP Morgan does focus on is using Onyx, for example, their internal private blockchain to settle uh, swaps cross country. They just used a fork of Aave and a fork of Uniswap to uh, do a swap of tokenized Singaporean dollars for uh, Japanese yen. And this whole like, and, and so what both of these things tell me is like, the like, not only is there a desire for technology for innovation to help lower their cost structure, the most innovative banks, the ones that are the furthest ahead are actually looking to DeFi for like the frontier of innovation. Right. And they're looking towards this technology, in particular, blockchain technology, the smart contracts that have been tried and tested on it already. Obviously, it needs to be, you know, repurposed for the use cases of a JP Morgan. But there is an opportunity, there is a desire today to use that technology to make the, you know, the traditional capital markets as they are today significantly better. And that's a huge opportunity, right? That's what Larry Fink talks about. Uh, when he says the CEO of BlackRock, when he says tokenization of real world assets is the next generation of finance, like we are proving it with what we do at Block Tower Credit, but the broader industry as a whole is coalescing around this as I think uh, uh, as a real path forward for what you know traditional capital markets will look like in the future. Yeah, listen, this is a fantastic conversation about the future of capital markets, the intersection uh, of digital asset markets and capital markets and the technology that's going to power it. Listen, if you're listening to this conversation, come on in and join it with us. Put down your questions in the chat wherever you're watching. We'll ask the best ones on air later in the show. Remember, Real Vision members take priority. But the good news is, of course, Real Vision crypto membership is free. Go to realvision.com forward slash crypto to sign up uh, to be able to get priority in these conversations. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. Uh, Kevin, so, you know, basically, I've heard two points that you've made here. The first is uh, efficiency uh, in terms of cost efficiency. And the second is speed uh, and accuracy of these calculations. I'd add a, a question about a third. I think lots of folks who've watched the big short, remember the Jenga tower scene where you have a whole bunch of uh, asset-backed securities being stacked precariously, perilously uh, on a tower. Nobody knows what the hell is in them. You can't see underneath the surface. The information is far too fragmented, far too manualized, far too 
paper driven. Thoughts about some of the potential of this technology that you guys are working on uh, and some of the ideas conceptually on the capital market side can have on truly modernizing capital markets from the perspective of data transparency? Yeah. No, it's a great question. I mean, you know, to to start, I would have to say, and I would have to, you know, be honest and admit that data transparency was an extremely like what was an ex what was probably one of the only areas of innovation post uh, crisis in traditional like securitization markets. And so, uh, you know, top of mind, a company called BBO One that was recently purchased by Fitch um, is a phenomenal company that basically provides daily updates on an individual loan by loan basis of all the assets sitting in certain asset classes within a securitization, like all of the individual loans. And so that Jenga block, um, you know, like kind of idea of what it was pre-crisis, where you're basically looking at a black box, you have no idea what's in there, you have no idea how it's performing. That is not how the markets work today. It's not perfect, but it's significantly better than it was already on the, in the past. But that doesn't mean it can't get better, right? So I think the major difference in terms of what we would want to see is, and what this technology can really bring, I think, in the future, um, is transparency where it's not gate kept, right? Where this information is not just uh, available to the owners of that particular security or those who can pay 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars in order to get access to this like database, right? You know, for right. uh, for a hedge fund, sure, that's you know the cost of doing business. But for but there is a I would be willing to bet that there's a huge cost associated with that information not being democratized, not being disseminated widely. Right. Um, and and for me, that's a huge, you know, we actually mentioned this in the Not Boring article, like that's a huge, I think, room, like white space for how this technology can really, really improve things in the future, right? Imagine, uh, in the, like, imagine if all of, if all of our individual, like, debt, for example, was on chain and, and, you know, in, in whatever environment, right? Like I, I can, I can totally understand why many of the crypto people, um, and, you know, would listen to me say this and just be like, oh man, here we go. Like just someone wants to like put all their debt and like dox themselves on chain. And and yeah, I mean, in some cases that is kind of the direction that I'm about to go, but uh, you know, it's it's a choose your own adventure thing. So I just want to like say that at the, at the outset, but imagine a universe where all of this information, you know, all of your like loans, all of your payments, all of this, uh, you know, everything that someone would need to assess your creditworthiness Right, was available on chain. Now, the way that it works off chain, the way that it works in our traditional system today is right, you have the three major credit bureaus here in the United States. They go out and they find, uh, or they have a network of banks who report your information on your, or on your behalf to the credit bureaus. The credit bureaus then take it from Capital One, Bank of America, you know, Citigroup, whatever, and then they say, hey, we've got all of this information we're going to put it all and condense it into a FICO score. And then we're going to tell you uh, the lender, like, or we're going to sell this information to someone else so that they can make a loan to you um, in a, in a, you know, with, with data. Right. But effectively what's, what's happening is the credit unions are collectively bargaining our data 
on our behalf and selling it to the lenders who then use it to charge us interest, right? Now, in a in a perfect world, right? If all of this stuff was, I would say, you know, while we could main like in a way that we could still maintain privacy, which I think is critically important in this world that I'm like mentioning right now. But uh, if you could do that, right? But the information associated with us was available where they knew that we were credit worthy. They knew that we made our loans on time or that we made our payments on time. They knew, you know, whatever it was that is necessary in order for someone to extend us unsecured credit. Like then ultimately we might be able to, you know, we might be able to eradicate a massive amount of costs just from the credit bureaus no longer being necessary, right? Because we already own our data or the data is already in the public domain. And now it's up to lenders to come and take that information, train their models and say, all right, well, now I'm going to compete on giving this person the lowest cost of capital uh, or the lowest interest rate versus the system that we have today, which is just a more convoluted way of everybody, you know, getting out there like, uh, their bips in the middle or getting out their like fee in the middle for facilitating all of this. Yeah. And by the way, also, I think one of the interesting things about blockchain technology is the promise uh, to have the users uh, of that, the uh, the owners of that data control the access so that exactly. uh, they have the ability to control who can see what, for how long, at what level of granularity, for what purpose, in what context, and then to revoke it uh, on demand by the owner of that data. Very different, very different system than where we are today. Totally agree. I think that's the you know, for me, that's one of the major things that excites me about this space. Um, I mean, we're talking about extremely, admittedly boring and <laughs> nuanced and like kind of granular things, which I think ultimately we have to do because if you're going to change anything at scale, you've got to really deeply understand why the system exists as it is today. Um, but all that being said, like the like you know the 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 end state of this is not at the end like what we will get out of it it's not efficiency it's not just efficiency right that's the easiest thing to sell it's the easiest thing to kind of like point to and say hey today we can do this in a more efficient manner but there are so many other possibilities down the road when right. this tech like when this happens and that's what we're really like focused on in fact like that's one of the reasons why we work with centrifuge on public blockchains like um jp morgan onyx all of these other like chains for one reason or another right primarily because of regulatory compliance reasons they are private walled gardens like we don't believe in that here like we believe that like you know to be honest not too dissimilar from like the bankless guys right like ethereum is going to be or something like it or a network of different chains will be the kind of global settlement layer of all assets uh, we are just you know i think we we are just playing one kind of narrow role of that, but what happens when our data, right, our credit data, what happens when our browsing data, what happens when whatever, like whatever asset that we own, whether it's digital or real, lives on the same settlement chain? I think that, I think that unlocks a lot of possibilities and a lot of economic justice, honestly, for, um, you know, for for the inhabitants of the world. Yeah, and obviously not an endorsement of any one particular product or protocol. Uh, but when we talk about this here on Fed Day, we're some 90 minutes away from a rate hike decision. Obviously, this has macroeconomic implications as well. If you can't see risk, you can't price risk. If you can't price risk, you can't hedge risk. If you can't hedge risk, uh, then you need a larger role uh, by central banks to 
uh, continue to manage the flow of credit to the economy uh, to balance for their key variables, uh, which are, of course, employment and price stability. Uh, so something that uh, in the longer term uh, has some macroeconomic aggregate utility. We've talked a lot here, and I'm I'm mindful of the fact that you're a you're a finance guy, uh, but we've talked a lot about the uh, the back end on the finance here. Let's talk a little bit about the technology. What are you guys doing uh, over at Block Tower in terms of the solution set? What does the stack look like? How are you implementing it? Yeah. Um, so you mean just uh, in terms of like how are we doing our core fund today? Um, yeah, how how are you how are you doing your core fund today in terms of how you're going to make it available on pl- public blockchains uh, for sales and trading? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a. So I would start with this. Um, you know, most of the technology on the CLO side is is run by or is created and run by uh, a company called Centrifuge, who we work very very closely with. And I would also disclose here, I should have d- done this earlier, that we are investors in Centrifuge across like Block Power's family of funds. Um, but uh, what they do is they create you know, kind of the smart contracts that live on top of Ethereum. They're also working on their uh, app chain uh, called SendChain, which I would say does many of these things, but on a orders of magnitude, like more efficient like level. But just speaking about our core, like the way that we run it today on Ethereum mainnet, we use their smart contracts in order to execute this transaction. And while it sounds extremely complicated, like in a traditional, like kind of, uh, you know, when I talk about what these securitizations look like in the traditional world, in the blockchain ecosystem, it's still very complicated, but much simpler. Um, but that's one component, right? So our investments are basically funded through the sale of these on-chain liabilities, the on-chain senior and junior tokens. Um, and that entire process is or that entire like technological stack is created by Centrifuge, and we're extremely happy with that. Um, internally, right, then we've got to figure out, really, I would say, two major things that any institutional purchaser of debt on-chain will have to figure out in the future. The first one is on and off-ramps. The second one is custody. Um, so custody, we, you know, I would say we use a suite of different qualified custodians, um, as well as self-custody, uh, like software providers like Fireblocks. Um, on the on and off ramps, we you know use Circle, we use Coinbase. Basically, there the major the major necessity of doing that is until we can buy bonds directly on chain that live directly or that are natively issued on chain, which I do hope to see the day one day in the future. Um, until that's true, though, we need to purchase bonds into our custodial accounts. So we use a custodian, a traditional custodian called Wilmington Trust. Um, in Wilmington Trust case, you know, they settle bonds via the traditional system in DTCC. It's a T plus two settle. Um, in order to do that, we've got to take the dollars uh, or we've got to take USDC, which is, you know, how we are USDC or die actually, MakerDAO's uh, decentralized stable coin. Like we've got to take that and convert it into dollars. Um, and those dollars have to sit and be wired in the traditional financial system to Wilmington Trust in order to settle the bonds because, uh, you know, DTCC or the seller of the bonds to us is not going to accept USDC. Um, so I would say on the on and off ramp side, obviously, that's where, you know, as you mentioned, like with the banking and, and everything that's happened this month, it's been an interesting experience, to say the least. Uh, so, so let's talk a little bit about that. Talk yeah, a little bit about the, the impact and 
uh, to the business uh, that uh, you guys experienced directly uh, with Silvergate and Signature? Did you guys have any direct exposure? How has this impacted the business model in the short term and in the longer term in terms of your thinking and lessons learned? Yeah, man, definitely have a lot of thoughts here. So uh, we did bank with both Silvergate and Signature. We did not have any like uh, negative economic exposure whatsoever. Um, and Signature is our primary bank. We are onboarded with a number of other banks, um, which I would say is unique to us and very positive. Like it was a positive situation for us in a unique way because we already straddled both worlds. Like we already straddled the traditional financial world where we had, you know, the ability to, you know, deposit cash in our custodial account, for example, right? In money market accounts when other crypto funds or other, uh, you know, crypto only institutions that perhaps only had Silvergate or Signature as their banking partner uh, were kind of out of luck, right? Uh, whereas we had a number of different outlets because of the nature of our business. Um, so we were okay from that front, but I think the two immediate impacts, right, are one of them is obviously depegging. Like, <laughs> like it, it's it, especially when you're talking about fixed income instruments where you know you're going to get par and interest back efficiency is everything right you know i started this entire conversation talking about the efficiencies of blockchain technology but all of that is eradicated if all of a sudden usdc is trading at 90 cents in the dollar right and right. in order to fund a hundred dollars worth of assets i've got to find you know 111 dollars or whatever it is out of uh, of usdc and so from that perspective i think we we navigated it well, um, I mean, simply by just not transacting at that point in time, um, because, you know, we don't necessarily have to. Um, but at the same time, you can't not, you can't be inert forever, right? So at some point, we're going to have to go back and navigate this kind of ecosystem. And, and obviously, at this point, things have kind of like recovered back to parity. But um, in the event of DPEGs, like that is a that is a significant risk for anybody who is doing anything in the real world, like like on like like uh, you know similar to us. Because if you've got to go back and forth in between these real worlds, the exchange rate between these two assets um, is is highly critical. Um, the second piece of it, and I think like this is just a longer term thing that you know, again, we were in a unique position just because we already had a fair number of redundancies in terms of like what other things we could do with cash. But going forward, I think all of 2022 and 2023 is just a constant reminder of how much counterparty risks exist at every part of the stack, right? So um, right. if you think, you know, it's it's one thing to be thinking about smart contract risk and and a lot of the things that are unique to the digital domain, but that's not how you run a business, right? The, the, like every business, like there's no business that's fully on chain. Um, every business like straddles the, the two worlds. And if you're straddling the two worlds and you're thinking about, all right, well, you know, here are my core banking partners, my core, uh, you know, centralized exchanges that I work with, my core uh, technological partners. Like, I don't know if people in this industry were building redundancy at every layer. And certainly at the banking layer, like many people take it for granted, right? Because it's a bank, right? And I think this is, you know, not unique to crypto, but I think everybody is now realizing, wait a second, even our banks like have like are things in which we have to be thinking about counterparty exposure. And that's fairly unique to the situation that we're in right now versus even just a couple months ago. Um, 
And, uh, and again, it's true for everybody. And so I think going forward, the major thing is understanding what are the critical services that I need to run the business, both in the digital and the non-digital domain. And then how do I build as much redundancy into each of these as possible, right? Instead of, instead of uh, you know, having just one bank account, do I have four, right? Instead of just having one off-ramp on an off-ramp, can I find three? Right. Um, and and I think it, it sounds a little ridiculous to say because, you know, I think for us as an institutional like fund, like we're already much more sophisticated in terms of that, because that's what it takes to manage risk. That's what it takes to pass a DDQ, for example, uh, from an institutional investor. But uh, but I think it's it's something that every startup, every company, every um, fund in this space is, is thinking about top of mind right now. And, uh, and, and I think it's a good thing long, long term. Hey everyone, we're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the real vision crypto daily briefing. Yeah. It's so interesting to hear you talk about this mix of expertise that you need to survive in the space. Uh, obviously you have to have the core competencies on the digital asset distributed ledger tech blockchain uh, digital asset space, which is uh, obviously a very complex and richly ramified space in itself. And then additionally, uh, you need to have the traditional finance banking relationships, uh, understanding and experience to make that work. It really is just a tremendous amount of stuff in that intersection of those two sets where you have to be able to be competent to participate and play in the space. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, when you, I, you know, I think the way that you just said it is actually pretty phenomenal, right? Because when you think about what's happening with this idea of tokenizing asset, real world assets in general, like there's a ton of momentum going in that direction there's no there's no doubt about it right like and so if you look at all these major institutions like hamilton lane kkr they want to tokenize aspects of their fund they want to tokenize assets that people are doing you know bond issuances in in token in digital token native digital token form but the question is like or the desire is right here's a new form of distribution this distribution is going to be more efficient because it's next generation technology but i'm also going to access you know, new buyers, perhaps uh, buyers that couldn't meet mi like minimum investment thresholds prior, but now they can because the efficiency of this system allows us to more, you know, efficiently or more profitably like sell our financial product to an accredited investor or a non-accredited investor, whatever it is. Um, but the problem is where are the investors, right? Like, because the investors are us. Right. And so we're out there going and we have a very, very, I would say, unique like skill set in order to understand how to do all of this stuff. But the barrier to entry is still so high. Right. Like we work in a digital asset native institution. We are digital asset natives ourselves. And it is like and, and that's and, and obviously, you know, we have traditional financial like credit backgrounds so that we can do a lot of the things that we're doing safely. But that's a huge huge like barrier uh, a barrier to entry like we're doing it because we're missionaries about this to be honest like we like this isn't this isn't uh easier than what we're doing until we can do everything on chain we'll always have to run like two systems in parallel right they right. always have to run the traditional system and the distributed system and so from our perspective right what we aim to do over time is to 
one, prove to people that this technology works, right? And has the benefit uh, or like actually prove out the benefits of what, why people are tokenizing assets in the first place. But then at the same time, to develop the understanding, the technology, the products around how you onboard all of these institutions who are not going to go out there and try to figure out like, you know, all of like the intersection of all these different like circles in this Venn diagram. They just want a right. product. They just want something to work. Right. Um, and so in order to do that, you've got to actually do it. Nobody was doing it. That's why we started this vehicle. Um, right. But uh, yeah, long term, I think that that's like the way that you said it was just such a like perfect way to articulate it. It's like you've got to have all of these different core competencies in order to do it. And that's not how you get to adoption. Like right. You get to adoption by reducing the amount of core competencies that you need to use a technology that everybody already knows is better. Yeah. And the interesting thing about it is that's the challenge as well as the glory. If it were easy, everyone would be doing it. If you didn't have to run essentially these two sets of ledgers simultaneously, uh, there wouldn't be the opportunity in the market uh, to come in and, and, and simplify uh, and systematize everything that's in front of us. Exactly. Exactly. Very well said. Yeah, it's a great conversation. Uh, maybe next time uh, when we have you back, we'll bring you in with Centrifuge and we'll have a conversation uh, about that if they'd be willing to join us. Uh, we could have a roundtable conversation about how you guys are doing this. I just think this is spectacularly interesting. And it's something that uh, anyone who has spent uh, even 20 minutes working in fixed income who's seen how dysfunctional that space is uh, knows just how many inefficiencies there are. You look at this technology, it's so obvious to see how it can be used. But as always, devil is in the details. The implementation is non-trivial uh, on how to actually go from where we are today to where the, the, the puck is clearly heading in the future. Yeah, no, 100%, 100%. And I think, you know, it's, a, it's, it's something that requires, I think, intellectual honesty from the builders in this space about how challenging that's going to be. Right. Like, um, and so part of the reason, you know, we work with many people um, across all of Block Towers funds, and all of them are incredibly like intelligent, ambitious. They have, you know, visions of the world as it ought to be, and I think that that's what's so exciting about working in crypto in general. Right. Like, um, but you don't get to where you ought to be without like solving many little problems along the way. Um, and so, with us, with the work that we do with Centrifuge and you know a, a, a number of other like core strategic partners, it is trying to figure out together. Right? Because we don't know all the answers either, but it's trying to figure out together, wait a second, what are all the problems that we need to solve for ourselves in order to get ourselves fully right. on chain, right? such that in the future, we can then take this information and we can bring everybody on chain when it's not a, you know, after we've kind of like been the tip of the spear. Uh, and, right. and, you know, I mean, certainly in, in many ways, like out of our vehicle, we profit from that. Uh, but at the same time, it's not that much profit. Like it's not, you know, we're not doing this for the money, right? Like, it, like if we, if right. I was, if I wanted to, like, just make a bunch of money, I certainly would have left my cushy job before because that was just significantly easier than what we're doing today. Um, but less money, cool. more challenge. What more could you want? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, you know, to be honest, I think it just all comes down to why are you doing it, right? Yeah. What is the like? what is the light at the end of the tunnel? Why is this ladder at, worth climbing? Like, right. to be honest, like, again, you know, we talk about efficiency, we talk about some of these things that are a little bit more tangible and easier to understand because that's how you sell it 
to the traditional financial system. But the future and the promise of all of this stuff being in, I would say, like a global public settlement ledger, like is immense. Um, There's so many things that are possible on top of that. There's so much more democratization of access to information, of of access to capital. Um, And that's what that's what capitalism is like. That's that's what that's where like that's the direction that I want to see, um, you know, everything go. And this is just so happens to be a really, I think, a unique wedge that we are that we are able to like kind of press here. But we're just one, you know, group of people pressing a wedge in an industry where there are hundreds of other wedges being pressed by teams that are more impressive than us, um, doing in doing it in different ways and and different markets. And so it's uh, it's such an exciting time to be here despite everything that's uh you know that's that's happening yeah and it's also just the thrill of building something new of getting to create something that doesn't exist before of getting to uh, actually solve real world problems i mean i i remember uh many years ago working uh in high yield and one of the guys who ran a desk uh said to me you know i'm idiot plus an eighth all i do all day is just bid (laughs) bonds i could do this in my sleep you know, if I want to accumulate a position, I just bid paper at an eighth higher than every ever than the rest of the street, and I buy it and I make a ton of money. Uh, he didn't say this uh, fondly. He said this because he was bored out of his mind. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, yeah. I mean, when I started at the desk at City, um, you know, there was like uh, there was all these like like kind of the early fin meme pages um, of like the sell side monkey guys just sitting there like clicking i don't know whatever f9 and just like going back and forth in like bloomberg chats and and to be honest i read it at first and and i was like this is funny but it's also sad and i do also distinctly remember um you know because like if you think about what securitizations are securitizations are just a box they they the the cash flow could be anything Right. Like, right. you know, we, it could be uh, auto loans, it could be aircraft leases, it could be drug royalties, music royalties. I mean, all of these things, they exist. Already right. today. Anything that's a promise of future cash flows, you can put it in a box, put it with a bunch of other homogenous assets, you know, run statistical analysis on it, get it rated, do different tranches. And then, boom, there you go. You have a securitization. Again, and so speaking of, speaking of it, it could be anything uh, in digital and, and cash flows more generally. This is a, a question that just came in. I, it's a great one, and I wanted to get to yeah. it before you jump because I know you only have a few more minutes left. Uh, this one comes to us from Ralph on the Real Vision website. Did you look at or invest in the six-year native digital bond issued by the city of Lugano, uh, of course, in Switzerland? Any thoughts on that offering? Yeah, so we don't – we have – kind of a like a narrow focus in terms of what we're investing in primary like for a variety of different reasons um primarily because of our professional competence so we don't have professional competence looking in you know those types of assets primarily like you know foreign or you know em kind of jurisdictions with munis uh we do follow all of these like transactions that use digital asset technology to uh you know to uh issue new bonds. In fact, actually today, one of our portfolio companies just profiled in Bloomberg, PBO1, uh, which is coming out and, and, and looking to do like secondary bond trading. Uh, founded, the former founders of B2C2 uh, are, are leading that company. And then on top of that, uh, you know, you've seen things come out of London with a digital, like kind of the first digital uh, UK pound denominated bond. 
Uh, Hong Kong has done this with green bonds already and a number of times on Goldman Sachs, like digital asset platform. So we're definitely aware of all of that. And we've looked at it, but we haven't invested into the deals directly because our professional confidence comes in to, you know, traditional consumer U.S. denominated consumer mm -hmm. assets. Makes sense. We also want to show our viewers this clip from the latest Rao Pal's adventures in crypto. Rao spoke with Brett Tejpal and Greg Tusar from Coinbase Institutional. You can sign up for free at realvision.com to watch that video in full when it comes out this Friday. Here's a snippet, take a look. How difficult is it to build ahead of something as opposed to something that's, that's happening? I mean, obviously you guys are very big in the institutional space, um, but you kind of have to build a business. What, what I'm trying to get to is this cyclicality you talked about. It's really hard building businesses for the future in a volatile asset class. How do you guys think about that? You know, it's an interesting product challenge when you think about um, our product roadmap and making sure, you know, the, the lesson from startup life is have a plan for the world you see, not the world you want. And it's easy to have a plan for the world you want. Um, the world we see is one where there are lots of institutions that are activating um, already um, and building for them and their use case in the here and now while making sure we're generalizing so that, um, you know, we, we announced uh, last year a partnership with Aladdin and BlackRock and, and the needs of that echelon of client are a little bit different and we need to be building for that, but we can't be so far ahead of the world we see uh, that we're not building a, a, a viable and sustainable and, and financially sound business also. So that's a tricky balance to strike, but I think, I think what's important um, and I think the benefit that we have as a company and one of our superpowers actually is we have a lot of people who have a good first principles understanding of what those customers want, but also deep crypto knowledge to understand what's happening in the here and now. And I think the combination of those, um, the combination of those cultures and those skills and so forth is a really unique blend for Coinbase and something that I think sets us apart from a lot of people in crypto who have one or the other, but not both. You know, it's interesting. I'm just seeing that clip for the first time myself, but uh, I had to chuckle when Greg Tusar was speaking there. I've interviewed Greg a number of times here on Real Vision myself. Uh, and it's such an important point, this distinction between building for the world that you see and not for the world that you wish you lived in. Uh, that must be something that you guys face a great deal. Uh, talk a little bit about how you stay anchored to the here and now, how you stay anchored to the current market demand. Yeah. No, it's a great, it's a great question. I mean, we're in a little bit of a different perspective because we are one of the clients, right, of of a Coinbase. Like we are the user, we are the fund itself. And so um, the reason that we chose to do this in the first place is because capital is the most important thing to get this like flywheel started, right, in any network. Like in order for us, like we could go out and we could go build the technology that tokenizes assets but there would still not be anybody on the other side who wants to buy those tokenized right. assets. Right. And so we, because we have a pretty, again, pretty unique backgrounds and the ability to go out and, and, and engender belief because of our professionalism, I guess is probably how it distill like fundraising. Um, like we use that to our advantage to go out, obviously generate exciting returns, but then go and like, like generate the capital to jumpstart or bootstrap the demand side of the network. Um, so we are the today, right? Like when when you like when I listen to them, and we've we've had a number of conversations with 
uh, Coinbase, like uh, about exactly this type of stuff. Um, and we are that institution today that they are working with um, to try to build, you know, uh, I would say like the future. But in terms of building the business of what we're of what we're doing and where we're going in the future, I mean, you know, to be honest, I was also obviously my first time listening to that quote, and it was such a it was such an like it, it resonated deeply with me because one thing that I always say to my team here is we've got to keep one like we've got to keep an eye on ten years down the road, but we've got to keep like 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 our two focal points are ten years down the road and what's directly ahead of us, right. um, and what's directly ahead of us is going out and figuring out how are we going to continue every day to make uh, progress and bring everything that we're doing on chain and mapping out all the problems that we need to solve. And the 10 year vision is, wait a second, well, everybody is going to be using this technology and how do we build the technology or how do we build the processes and the services and the standards such that when everybody else comes on chain, they're not figuring out things like from the ground up for us. Like we've already figured out what are the important things, you know, that uh, that need to be figured out. What are the important services that need to be created in order for that future to happen? Um, but yeah, again, the beautiful thing is, you know, they're like we are not alone in doing this. I mean, every major institution in traditional finance and or in digital assets. Um, they're focused on tokenization of real world assets like this is a this is a major theme in in like crypto today that uh, is kind of ironic right <laughs> like it's not a it's not what crypto is but it's it's clear it's it's a clear trend right um and uh and that's what's exciting about it right now is there's a collective kind of uh you know attempt by the entire by both in both sides of the fence to to merge these two worlds together um and there isn't going to be one winner there's going to be a ton but uh whoever figures out you know how to solve major problems is going to be is going to build world-changing companies there's no doubt about it yeah such an important point about keeping your eye 10 years in the future while simultaneously focusing on the present it's a key challenge in innovation in business and of course in life Kevin, spectacular conversation. I really did enjoy this one. Final yeah. thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our audience with. Um, no, I think we covered a lot. I mean, Ash, it's a pleasure talking to you. You're a phenomenal interviewer. Um, and also just, I mean, you have a great, great voice. Uh, I don't know if anyone's told you that yet. But uh, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, if you guys want to reach or if anyone wants to reach out anytime, feel free to ping us at credit at blocktower.com. Um, we are yeah laser focused on on this topic on this trend and so for any builders in the space or anyone who's interested you know feel free to reach out anytime and we're happy to trade thoughts and uh and and yeah other than that this is a pleasure and appreciate the time well i hope we can do it again soon thank you so much for joining us kevin for sure thank you that's it for today remember to go sign up for Real Vision Crypto, it's free. Go to realvision.com forward slash crypto. Make sure to check out our special extended edition of Real Vision Daily Briefing today. The team will kick it off at 3.30 p.m. for the post-Fed analysis. We'll be back on Monday with Amanda Cassette from Serotonin at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. if you're in London live on Real Vision Cryptoverse. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great afternoon.